1: I definitely have points, you know, in my life as, as a wife, as a mom, not doubts, but just how do I do this? And how do I do it well? And how do I do it? Wh- how do I do it for the glory of God? And how do I do it unselfishly? And how do I do it when I'm totally exhausted and fatigued?
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark. I am the online managing editor for Christianity Today, and I'm joined here today by Morgan Lee. Morgan, welcome.
3: Hey, Richard. How's it going?
2: Good. How's Quick to Listen going?
3: Awesome. We just recorded an episode. I'm still in the studio from when we just wrapped up.
2: Sweet. Was it a good one?
3: Yeah, I think so. This week on the podcast, we'll be talking about Bernie Sanders, religious liberty, and Christian literacy in America. Yeah,
2: it seems like Bernie Sanders put his foot in his mouth recently.
3: Yeah, we'll get into that.
2: Okay, let's talk about it on the other podcast. I'm not actually on it, but Quick to listen, everybody. Quick to listen. That's the name of my podcast. Check it out. Quick to listen. Look it up. So today on the podcast, I'm talking to Christy Buile. I think a lot of people know her because she is the wife of a famous writer, pastor, Thabiti Thibidi The
3: Thabiti's actually been someone that has written for us, and we've interviewed him a couple times.
2: A lot of what we talked about was her role as a pastor's wife, which is kind of a tricky thing to talk about because I think you get into the realm of like defining yourself based on your husband's vocation. And that's kind of weird. We talked a little about just like being defined as first lady in the church hmm. and what that means and sort of the baggage that comes with that. And then we, we also talked a little bit about just what she likes to do as is part of her ministry, like what she sees her own personal ministry as. And that was actually, I think, the glut of the conversation, which I thought was really good. It actually inspired me a little bit. Some of the talk about mentorship and sort of discipleship of, you know, intergenerational and just like finding people to sort of walk through life with.
3: I think it's another interesting theme that you bring up here with regards to how one person's calling drastically affects someone else's calling a lot of times and, and what that looks like and how that's a very real tension not necessarily in a bad way, but a real tension that exists In marriage, when both people are really trying to follow God's call for their lives,
2: it's interesting. I actually think it would be good to talk about this more with men, right? Exactly.
3: (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) Well, rather than saying like, "Oh, for pastors' spouses, right?" asking them how has your calling been affected by your spouse's decision to become, you know, to enter full time ministry? Yeah. Asking people who are in full time ministry how they think that that's had an effect on their spouses.
2: Yeah, or vice versa, how their spouses, like, on yeah. ministry has been, had an effect on them. Yeah, so I think it'll be a good interview. Before before we get to it, I wanted to mention CT Magazine. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's, like, something that people need to know is coming out in CT Magazine?
3: So our July-August issue, which will be hitting people's mailboxes in a couple of weeks, our cover story is actually looking at the idea of calling, but from larger... Broader trends that are going on mm. um, in our society right now, and so it's asking questions about automation and robots and robots and what work is going to be looking like over the next century. And I yeah, I think that's something that is really fascinating to explore. Again, what do you you know? How does calling change when your job? which calling often overlaps with, has yeah. been eliminated.
2: So Christianity Today magazine, if you don't have it, if you don't subscribe, I'd highly recommend it, it is a very, very good magazine. And with our new managing editor, it's only getting better. Um, it offers redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. You'll get 10 issues a year. That's a good deal. For like something like $25, I think if you go to our uh, if you go to orderct.com/thecalling, you'll get a special deal. It includes a bonus download from your podcast hosts, me, Morgan, Mark, all sharing sort of our favorite stuff, our favorite CT content. Go check it out. You'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism, and helping us to continue to produce episodes of the calling every week. Here's our interview with Cristiany Buile. On your Twitter profile, it says you have you love Jesus, the Beatty, and. Three little Twizzlers. Yes. I'm assuming, I like to just, I like to assume, I prefer to assume that you have three Twizzlers sitting <laughs> on your kitchen counter. Yeah, That you're no. really fond <laughs> of. You can't bring yourself to the, eat.
1: That w- I kind of like Twizzlers, but it's actually my children. Okay, why do
2: you call them Twizzlers? That's like the well, weirdest ch- ch- like nickname for children I've ever heard. That's true.
1: And it was just totally random when I, I think when I started my Twitter profile, or maybe I changed it afterwards. We had given Thibidi a couple of years ago a Father's Day mm-hmm. um, present. Um, Thibidi's my husband. Yeah. And uh, so it was a poster board. Yeah. And it had um, all these different candy bars. And it was just a story, a kind of a happy Father's Day tribute to him. Yeah. But it had chocolate and gum and candy bars and Twizzlers. And so. <laughs> So in that Father's Day kind of tribute, yeah, um, they were referred to as you know, love your three Twizzlers. So awesome, that's where it came from. That's great. And then random. you added it to your yeah. Twitter profile. Yes, exactly.
2: Cool. Yeah. Your name is Christy Anyabule. Yes, yes exactly. Um, and you, what? So you live? Where do you live now?
1: Yeah. So now we live in Washington D.C. Okay. in the southeast corner of Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. in an area called Anacostia.
2: Okay. Yeah. But you used to wor- live in... Um,
1: yeah, so uh, we've been in D.C. for the past two years. Prior to that, we lived in the Cayman Islands for eight years. Okay, yeah. So, yeah.
2: Which do you prefer? You have to say the one you live in now, I guess.
1: Mm, I do love D.C. and where we are now, except in winter. I would yeah. prefer the weather of the Cayman Islands. As someone sure. <laughs> who lives in the Chicago
2: area, I can relate to that. Oh, yeah. A yeah,
1: lot. Yeah. But we get a lot of people, uh, when we were in the Cayman Islands, we would get a lot of people from Chicago, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. places like that, and uh, we called them our snowbirds. They would come down to the Cayman Islands for the winter yeah. to you know, kind of avoid the bad weather.
2: Right. So uh, every episode of the podcast, we always start with the same question. So I'll ask you, how would you define your calling? Mm.
1: I would define my calling uh, kind of in in phases. So my primary calling, obviously, is just being um, a daughter of the King, being a disciple of Christ, and uh, being united with Him. Next to that, my calling, I would say, is uh, my calling as a wife mm-hmm. of my husband, the Beatty, who's pastor um, of Anacostia River Church in D.C. Yeah. Uh, and then my calling as a mom. We have three kids. Right now, they are 18, 16-year-old girls mm-hmm. and a 9-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my calling to just serve the body of Christ yeah. in a church. And yeah, so. And I mean, would you
2: rank those in that order? Yeah. Primarily? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Th- uh, do you, I'm curious because I'm exploring like the whole gender roles thing a little bit. Would, would the Beatty rank them in that or, order? This is not a trap. This, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> genuinely curious.
1: Yeah, I think he would rank them in that order. Yeah. 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 God first. Our relationship as husband and wife yeah. being primary. Um, and then our relationship with our children. Uh, we've worked hard to um, have our home be marriage centered and not child center, mm-hmm. which I think is a huge temptation for yeah. anyone who's a parent yeah. um, because kids, especially babies, you have a baby, um, right. they're, they demand a lot and yes. they need a lot yeah. and you have to devote so much attention to them. And because of that, I think you just have to be intentional about making sure that your relationship with your spouse is maintained and nourished and you're not just kind of fitting each other in mm-hmm. but you're intentionally you know making time to love and care for one another
2: are you uh, a, are you a stay-at-home mom yes. right now okay mm-hmm. so so as far as your full-time job at stay-at-home mom yes. and then in addition to that you do some church ministry stuff I guess
1: yeah so uh, my primary ministry in the church uh, I say my primary ministry in the church is just serving my husband and being a good meet to him mm-hmm. um, but aside from that I disciple A pretty good number of ladies in our church, Um, mostly one-on-one and small group Bible studies.
2: Do you feel like you're called to ministry?
1: Yeah, I think every Christian is called to ministry in some capacity, Uh right? Uh, We don't get to be, you know, stand-by on the side Mm -hmm. Christians. We're all called to ministry Mm -hmm. in some capacity. But my passion is, in relation to ministry, my passion is discipleship and just pouring into the lives of women uh, the Lord brings across my path. And that, I think the Lord gave me a passion for as a new believer, Mm -hmm. uh, close to 20 years ago, um, as a new believer, realizing myself that I needed discipleship. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I'm a Christian. Now what? Like, how do I live this calling out? Yeah. And so I started asking a couple ladies that I knew and I was friends with uh, to mentor me, disciple me. And actually, the first two women I asked to disciple me, they both said no. Huh. And What did
2: you ask them to do? Did you say, I want to disciple you?
1: Well, I wanted them to disciple me. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just invited them out for breakfast. I expressed appreciation for how we were already friends and you know, serving in church together and just um, express to them my need for someone to mentor me. I don't think I knew the word discipleship at that point. Mm-hmm. or We didn't use it, uh, but I needed some mentorship, yeah. you know, and asked if they would be willing to walk with me in that way. Yeah. And both the ladies in just the kindest way said, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think I'm able to do what, what you're asking me to do.
2: Because they didn't feel uh, competent enough to do it?
1: Yeah. So having conversations with them years later, reflecting back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, they both just expressed fear, you know, that and neither one of them had really been intentionally discipled, mentored themselves. Yeah. Although kind of organically they were mentoring lots of ladies in the in the church, sort of organically, sort of informally, uh, but having intentional, uh, regular, consistent time pouring into the life of another woman in sort of a, a somewhat of a systematic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither of them had had that before. And they both just felt fearful and inadequate and yeah. felt like they just weren't tooled to be mentoring in that way. Um, and that, and that's something that I hear all the time mm-hmm. among women, older, younger, doesn't matter. Yeah. Man. yeah. So Is that, it- so I think that's, that's where the Lord kind of birthed that passion in me. And so when they said no, I just committed myself to um, to being available mm-hmm. for women who would ever ask me to disciple them. So I said, okay, Lord, I will never say no if, you know, whether it's once a month, once a quarter, once yeah. a week, however much time you give me to devote to um, walking alongside another woman, I want to be available to do that. Yeah. God's been gracious. and. Allowing that to happen.
2: Yeah. What do you tell What do you tell women when they do come to you and say, "I feel inadequate." Yeah. To disciple.
1: Um. That that's probably an accurate assessment. We're all inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I think I, hopefully I say a little bit nicer than that, but I think sometimes we feel like we need to you know, know a certain amount or mm-hmm. have a certain kind of verbiage or, you know, have some sort of a particular plan in place or we see someone else and we, you know, feel like, oh man, that person is really, you mm-hmm. know, really knows what they're doing. And I don't know if I can really do that. Yeah. So I think, a you know, a healthy kind of dependence on the Lord is yeah. good that uh, we're all inadequate in the sense. And that's why we need to go to the Lord in prayer. We need to depend upon him. We need to ask people. Uh, who we feel like, or maybe gifted in that, or maybe have more experience in that, Mm -hmm. you know, ask them for advice and, and just trust the Lord and and go from there. So when women say, yeah, I feel inadequate. Yes, there is that, but also, and also the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness in present age. So we don't have to fear that we don't, that the Lord will not give us Mm -hmm. uh, what we need in order to Walk alongside yeah. another Christian, and it just comes straight out of the Great Commission, right? Yeah. Go make, make disciples, disciples yeah. teaching them everything I've commanded you. So right. that teaching is a part of the Great Commission, mm-hmm. and so therefore, it's not an optional endeavor. Yeah. For the believer. Yeah. And so, do,
2: yeah. what does that look like when you approach someone to disciple them, or they approach you? Yeah. What What's What do you say to them? Like, what do you say to start? Because, like, I've done this yeah. a mm-hmm. little bit and. And current and previous churches and sometimes it's i remember one in particular one where i was just like do you want to go eat eat out like you want to go get lunch and then i kept doing it like every week and right. eventually he was like what are you doing like yes. is this are, is, he, he like, like are we
1: dating like
2: <laughs> he, he got really weirded out by it like as if i was trying to like sneakily right. rebuke him or something and then it become a thing but in, i feel like uh other people that works fine like it's not it's understood what's happening
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so for me it kind of varies person to person Mm -hmm. um i'm i feel like i'm pretty relational so i like to um just you know have fellowship friendship hang out so sometimes it just starts with hey let's go out for tea or coffee, you know, let's go pick strawberries or something, Mm -hmm. you know, and just having fun time with another sister. And Mm -hmm. then um, eventually, either she or I will say, hey, you know, we should do this more regularly. And uh, one friend, for example, you know, we meet together pretty regularly, just casually. um, And we have been over the past couple of years, and just recently saying, hey, you know, maybe we should you know, is there another way that we can be fruitful in the time that we spend together? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what do you want to do? Well, let's, you know, let's read a book together or let's study scripture. Together. So uh, she and I are just getting ready to read a book uh, yeah. together. So it it kind of varies. If I'm approaching a young lady specifically for discipleship, I will make that clear to her from mm-hmm. the outset. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, we're kind of filling each other out yeah. and just trying to see, hey, we'll... Will this relationship work in that way? Mm -hmm. Um, But if I'm approaching her for that purpose, then I'm saying, hey, would you like to get together and um, read a book of the Bible together or read a good um, Christian book together and just meet on a regular basis? So there's there's
2: like an intentionality to it to the point where you are reading books of the Bible Mm -hmm. and you're saying, we're going to talk about this when we get together, that sort of thing.
1: Yes, or sometimes it can just be for accountability. So Mm. sometimes it's just, you know what, Someone will come over and we'll cook dinner together or we'll, mm-hmm. you know, I try to eat gluten free. So we'll <laughs> like try out some gluten free recipes or something and uh, and just check in with each other. You know, yeah. how how are you doing? How's your life spiritually? How's your prayer life? Are you getting consistent time in the word? You know, how can we pray for one another? Uh, yeah. So I have a friend like that. We get together uh, every couple of weeks or so. And it's just for prayer and accountability. Mm-hmm. So it can look differently. Um, depending on just the dynamics and needs of the relationship and the needs that we both have for one yeah. another. So it's not always reading a book or reading a book of the Bible. I think those that's normally right. uh, probably my re- most regular pattern. Sure. Uh, but there are also women I meet with, and it's just for prayer and accountability. Yeah.
2: How do you do accountability that's... Um Grace oriented, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people struggle with this. There's there's a feeling that accountability, I think accountability c- comes with like that word itself comes with like a mm-hmm. stigma. Yeah. Um, so how do you approach that to where it's not like, well, don't do that anymore. I'm going to yeah. check in on you next week. Yeah. That sort of thing.
1: I mean, the Lord has just been so gracious in giving me really godly, wise, gracious friends. Yeah. And so it's always in grace. And I think for, for most of my relationships, that accountability comes out of just sharing what's happening in our lives regularly. Um, if I share with her, for example, oh, I just don't feel like I've had the um, kind of time, for example, that I want to spend with my children. Mm-hmm. Um, then she may ask me, you know, what is it that's preventing that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we explore Maybe is there sin involved in that or patterns in my life that need to be, you know, developed or um or a routine that needs to be changed. Yeah. And then we use that as points of accountability, mm-hmm. you know, and we check in with each other on that. How's it going, you know, this week? Have you had any time with, you know, you know, have you had the kind of time you wanted to with, you know, your daughter or with your husband? Right. And how's that going? So it's not so much, you know, A. Yeah. That saying, don't do that anymore. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. you know, it's that and that's needed. But most often we're exploring our hearts together and we're trying to get what's underneath behavior. Yeah. And we're trying to just um, scratch that and mas- and massage it and just conform our hearts more to the image of Christ. Right. So it's not so, um, you know, kind of hard exhorting as yeah. opposed to, just kind of gentle shaping and molding and exploring our hearts and trying to conform our hearts more right. um, to Christ-likeness. Yeah, so I don't know if that makes sense. But I know some people, accountability is like, oh, I don't want anybody holding me, you know. No, you it's scary. It yeah. can have a scary feeling too. Yeah, to but it. I've benefited from it, and I feel like the Lord has grown me personally a lot in it. And mm-hmm. just even as I talk with other sisters and explore areas in, in their hearts mm-hmm. that, need to be conformed more to Christ um, it's given the Lord has given me more boldness to do that and I'm I think I'm learning how to do it in a way that um, is gracious but also yeah. kind of firm in the sense of there's expectations not that I'm putting expectations on him but this is what the word expects of us yeah. in these particular set of circumstances
2: yeah. yeah I'm interested in like so it seems like you're you're being a mom and you're being a Person who does mentorship and stuff in the church are two big passions for you. Yes. And those can sometimes, like, I don't know if maybe they don't conflict, but like, how do you manage those two things at the same time? Because I know um, my wife, Jennifer, she struggles with this. She struggles yeah. with like, she wants to be a really good mom. She yes. also wants to be other things, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, things she's passionate about. So, how do you? juggle that
1: no that's a good question um different seasons different things so Mm -hmm. when our children were really young like maybe your baby's age we would fold people into whatever we were doing as a family so you know we would invite people over for dinner you know after dinner it's bath and story and bedtime and you know um you know so young ladies would come over hmm. hey do you want to go up with me to, yeah. <laughs> you know give titus a bath and we just chat while we're doing that huh. and we get him ready for bed they participate in story time <laughs> we put him down and then we can go and chat you know we can have dessert we mm-hmm. have tea, if, if it was in the evening um, again if it was during the day i would try to uh, again just fold them into what i was already doing mm-hmm. as a mom so that i'm not taking time away from family and um yeah so when they were little it was more like that as my children have grown um and now they're in school I home school for a while so that was a little bit of difficulty but yeah. um i think over the years i've mostly uh just kind of moved my discipleship primarily to kind of lunch times okay uh, so when i was homeschooling everybody breaks for lunch yeah. i could have a lady come over and join us for lunch and we can you know, read scripture or pray or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. And um, now that my kids are, you know, a lot more independent um, and they're away for a good portion of the day, mm-hmm. I meet a lot of people at breakfast after I drop my children off, um, you know, for school. Yeah. And then I meet lots of ladies at lunchtime. There are some who, you know, just distance, we can't meet at lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and because my schedule is flexible, I usually go to them near their workplace or something like that. You know, I have the flexibility to do that. Uh, But when I can't, then for some ladies we do meet in the evening or maybe on the weekend. But I really try to limit that as much as possible uh, because that's the time that I have with my family and with church obligations and various things. Yeah. Um. So it's harder for me to do in the evening or on the weekend. Sure. But I. But I do have some ladies that I meet with like that. Um. And. And yeah, the Lord just he provides the time. It works Mm -hmm. out and. Uh, so, right now, I have some ladies I'm meeting with kind of on a weekly basis at lunch, some every other week.
2: Uh, when did you realize uh, that you were passionate about and called to mentoring young women? I guess it would yeah. have been that moment when you mm-hmm. two people told you no.
1: That was, I think that was the moment. Yeah. And I don't know if I felt called to it per se, mm-hmm. I just felt. Like there had to be other women like me who just wanted somebody to walk al- alongside them. Yeah. And that I felt like if the Lord brought them to me and they asked, I just felt a compulsion to to say yes, mm-hmm. and I feel like that was God by his spirit, you know, prompting me in that way, and it was very intimidating and scary at first, so I understand why those ladies mm-hmm. said no, totally, yeah. and I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, a kind friend, young lady, the first lady who uh, I sort of mentored, you know, she she was a, a, young, a, a new bride. And she said, you know what, I, you know, we've only been married a little while. Can I just come to your house while you're cooking dinner and just ask you questions and I'll help you cook. I'll wash dishes, whatever. And, um, and I was like, oh, I can do that. You know, that's not too hard. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I think over time, the Lord has just given me confidence in, in that. And then as I've grown just in my walk with the Lord and spending time in his word He's just developed a passion in me to pass on what I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if I'm studying a book of the Bible, Colossians right now, uh, working on memorizing portions of it, Mm -hmm. then I will bring a young lady alongside me. Hey, I'm going through Colossians right now. Do you want to go through it with me? And I love doing that. So I think at first it was really scary, intimidating, and I just felt totally inadequate, like we just talked about. Um, But over the course of time and and doing it more and more and just having practice, uh, I think the Lord has just given me more confidence Mm -hmm. in trusting him that he works through his word. And if we're doing things that are um, that are word centered, Christ centered, gospel focused, um, that that God is in that. And so he blessed it. I don't always know all the answers and. You don't don't get everything right but i'm i'm also learning to let go of that kind of perfectionist mentality that oh mm-hmm. i she just asked me a question and i have no idea so i just say i don't know you know what let's go research it this week we'll come back next week and see see what we got you yeah. know and um so again just letting go of that tendency to think that i have to have it all together sometimes yeah. You know, a lot of times I just don't, uh-huh. you know, may not know uh, a particular answer to a question or may not feel like I'm, I'm confident in how I'm a- approaching a scripture passage. Um, but the Lord's teaching me that he's used tools and people, you know, my husband, of course, he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, he's used just ministries and organizations that help to train women in Bible teaching and things like that mm-hmm. um, to equip me further. Uh, so I've gained a lot of um, confidence in that. and
2: are you, uh, uh, who mentors you? Oh, Does anyone mentor question. you?
1: Yeah, I think right now, um, one of the ladies in our church, she's also, um, uh, her her husband's one of our elders. Uh-huh. And funny enough, she would be one of those people who say, I'm not just, dis- you know, I'm not mentoring. I'm not discipling you. We're just getting together and, right. you know, yeah. sharing life. And I'm like, no. So I, yeah. I have to remind her, no, you're discipling me right now. Uh-huh. Like, you know, she's godly. She's wise. I can talk to her about pretty much anything. And she's always going to point me to truth. She's always going to be, um, you know, just grace filled with her words and her counsel um so i would say primarily it would be um this one particular lady Mm -hmm. um and i think there are women who are mentoring me in terms of helping me grow as uh, a bible teacher and Mm -hmm. someone who's growing in writing and speaking various things so i have you know women who who i spend time with in that way and kind of informally organically bounce questions off of and they um You know, help are helping me right now to grow in those areas. Do you Um, think, like, and then just in my regular discipleship of women in the church, yeah, I'm growing as much as they're growing, if not more. So it's not, I don't feel like discipleship is a one way street that I have all this knowledge and I'm just gonna rain it down and you soak it in. No, it's not like that at all. I was gonna
2: ask, like, what's the hierarchy? Because, like, you mentioned her age is 10 years older. Does that mean she's automatically mentoring you, that sort of thing. I feel like I've had a lot of instances where I feel like my most fruitful versions of these things were people where I wasn't totally sure who was mentoring who. And in (laughs) fact, it changed. It like swung drastically depending on whoever was having the life crisis at the moment. Yeah,
1: no, that's so true. Yeah, I I point to her in particular because she's in a, a phase of life a little bit ahead of me. Sure. And so, you know, if it's someone younger than me or someone kind of my age, we you know we're kind of spinning in the same phase and stage of of life mm-hmm. um so i can you know this one woman in particular um her children are a little bit older you know the things that i'm kind of going through right now in some areas of life she's already experienced yeah. and uh and so yeah i'm very much learning a lot from her in that way and i go to her mm-hmm. for you know, specific counsel in yeah. areas like that. But she would also say that she's learning and growing too. You know yeah. I mean? I'm asking her questions. She's, you know, sh- you know, would text or call if she has issues that are going on. So you're right. It kind of, sometimes it's like, who's discipling who? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I think that's good, right? Yeah. Because every Christian is a disciple, right? Yeah. We're all students. We're all learning. We're all disciples of Christ. And so we're all in this kind of spinning cycle of being taught and then passing on what we've been taught. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh, that raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard.
2: the things you're called to do are not unique, right? Like they're, they're, everyone's called to mentor. Yeah. Everyone's called to do ministry, you said. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do have a little bit of a unique situation in that you're in a ministry family, like you're in a full-time ministry situation mm-hmm. um, in your family. And um, the BD fairly well known. So he like, he like writes in various places and you're having to like be tangentially at least involved in that. Is that uh something you felt remotely called to before you got married?
1: No, not before we got married. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no. We uh we were not Christians when we got married. Oh okay. Far yeah. from it. So <laughs> so definitely not that. Okay. Um and being a pastor's wife is not something I had ever envisioned. Mm-hmm. Um but
2: did you both come to Christ at the same time? We did. Yes, That's cool.
1: We did. We came to Christ at the same time. We heard um, the gospel preached at a, a church that we were visiting, um, actually in DC. We lived in North Carolina at the time, but okay. we just went to this church on a Sunday, heard the gospel, and um, and both of us responded to hmm. the gospel at that church service. So the Lord has been gracious in helping us grow together. Yeah. Also as Christians. And then just seeing the Lord call my husband into ministry and seeing his giftings, uh-huh. I think I knew that the Lord was calling him into ministry before he did. Okay. I could just, and he was just doing what he does. Yeah. Right. And, um, kind of following his own passion in, in teaching and mm-hmm. leading. Um, but I could see that and felt like, okay, I need to prepare myself cause I think this man is going to preach <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, uh, was that and,
2: like a good feeling or a bad feeling when you realized that?
1: A little trepidation in the beginning. Like, yeah. whoa, what does this mean? Because I think there's a lot of, uh, what's the word? I think a lot of unbiblical, unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. that I've grown up hearing about and seeing in regards to what it means to be a, quote, pastor's wife. Yeah. And I didn't want that stereotype.
2: Were you? W- did you sort of grow up in the church?
1: Um, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm, what yeah. was the, what tradition? Uh, just traditional black Baptist churches okay. growing up, yeah. um, small community. And, um, and so around our, uh, community, you know, the pastor's wife's called the first lady. Uh-huh. The first lady is sort of like co-pastor Yeah. and, um, you know, they play piano and they lead the children's ministry. And the pastor's they, wife does. Yeah, the pastor's So it's wife, essentially you know, like a second job. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I just... Never felt like um, I wanted to be sort of forced or, or pushed in particular boxes that way. Mm-hmm. And so um, really from early on, the Lord has just allowed the D to be such a leader in that. So wherever we've gone in ministry, mm-hmm. he's just been very clear up front from the very beginning um, that my primary calling is as his wife, mm-hmm. um, you know, loving him serving him and my family. Yeah. And so that actually has freed me hmm. to be involved in ministry in the ways that I felt like the Lord was calling me without feeling constrained or like I had to be, you know,
3: up you know, front up front, yeah. or
1: leading children's ministry or leading women's ministry or something like that. Sure. Um, so that has, I felt like, you know, the, I've had a lot of freedom in just pursuing um, my interests, my passions, what I feel like the Lord is calling me to do without feeling like I'm kind of in a fishbowl and, Okay. have these expectations forced upon me. Yeah, okay, but
2: in your church, do they know you as the first lady?
1: Ah, funny. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's funny. So, funny enough, I have worked really hard against that Uh notion, but there's an (laughs) element of believers who have grown up in that tradition of calling the pastor's wife first lady. And for them, it's kind of a, it's kind of a term of respect. Yeah. There's no ne- there's no expectation right. that comes along with yeah. the quote title. Yeah. And so this is, I think, when we were in the Cayman Islands, I got it a little bit that people were just mm-hmm. from that tradition, and you know, they they would have their family come to church and visit. They, and, hey, this is my first lady. And <laughs> I'm like, Hi, I'm Christy. Yeah. You know, and just kind of you know try to divert a little bit. But because we're in a in a context where I think lot. Lots more people have, there are a lot, of, a lot more people who have come from that sort of tradition. Mm-hmm. I'm actually getting a little bit more than I had yeah. anticipated. Uh-huh. So um, there are a few people who refer to me that way, but by and large, you know, yeah.
2: it's just, yeah. So yeah, because you haven't been in this Not church like that, for yeah. that long. No, right? just a year. You're planting it? Is that right? It's yeah. a church so, plant. Mm-hmm.
1: So Easter uh, was our one-year anniversary as... As a church meeting together okay. in Washington D.C. Got it. Yeah.
2: So so um, so one year, and you've got people who don't get that you don't want to be called First Lady.
1: Yeah, what's well, fun. Okay, so I'll tell you this quick story. So there's a young man, mm-hmm. very young, in our church. And so people who know me know mm-hmm. that it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, like, don't call me First Lady. <laughs> and so they'll do it just to joke me, right? right? And we'll, we'll joke about it and have fun. So he started calling me First Lady, and I... And my mind was thinking, he's just joking me like everybody does. Uh So I started ribbing him back about it and like, I can't believe you just called me that. We're going to fight, you know, that kind of (laughs) stuff. And then one day he came out and he was like, Miss Christy, do you really not like it when I call you first lady? And I'm like, oh, he was serious. Like Mm -hmm. he he was really trying to use the term, you know, as kind of a title of respect. And, you know, so I paused. I'm like, no, brother, I mean, you're welcome to just call me Christy. I, uh-huh. I'm totally most comfortable with that. But and that's, you know, that's kind of what he, the way he was brought up. And he's yeah. like, if you don't mind, I still like to call you first lady. And that's, that's fine.
2: Did you ever, did you ever doubt that? And I, I would say, apply, I would apply this to anything you've talked about, whether it's motherhood or mentorship or um, general ministry, full-time ministry with your husband, anything like that. Did you ever have any doubts About doing any of those things.
1: Hmm. Good question. I want to say no. Um. I was so not doubts in terms of whether we should or should not. Okay. Uh, but definitely I have points you know in my life as as a wife as a mom not doubts but just how do I do this and mm. how do I do it well and how do I do it wh- how do I do it for the glory of God and how do yeah. I do it unselfishly and how do I do it when I'm totally exhausted and mm-hmm. fatigued and you know so i ha I don't think I've I don't feel like I've had moments of I can't do this anymore but definitely points where I just felt like I need. Yeah, I need I need help. I need to sure. you know figure out how to navigate this particular, um, you know, arena yeah. that I find myself in. Yeah. So I I felt confident. I think from beginning that, all right, well, you know, if this is what the Lord is calling us to, yeah, He'll provide. I think, um, and not so much doubt is just wonder, you know, wondering how is God going to prove Himself faithful in this, yeah, you know, yeah. in this season and phase of can you th- life. Can
2: you think of like a specific concrete thing that you were like, oh man, this is, yeah. this is crazy.
1: So I guess one of the earliest I can think, well, there are lots, but one of the earliest I think of is just when um, we decided that I was going to be full-time mom mm-hmm. once my, you know, once my oldest daughter was born. Okay, And so at the time, I made a little bit more money than my husband did. He was, um, (laughs) you know, we were both working in like entry. I was a teacher and he was working with a nonprofit. And so we just really felt like the Lord was directing us to, for me to be a stay at home mom. And Mm -hmm. I was happy about that, but we didn't know what other half of that income was going to come from. I was like, no, I think we kind of, we kind of need to live off of two incomes, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how the Lord is going to provide. And it was like, whoo the the days and the weeks were going by we're like how long can we make it like this and you're just like all right we got like maybe two weeks Mm -hmm. left and um and the lord just provided job uh opportunities for the and and raises on his job i think the lord in his way he's Mm -hmm. so kind that when he calls us to whatever he calls us to whether it's you know being a stay-at-home mom or wife or being in ministry full-time or or part-time whatever it is he gives us everything we need yeah. and it's not all it's not always in the time frame that we would like sure. i think we need to feel that tension of i'm not doing this the lord is doing this yeah. i need to be dependent upon him and the lord he's faithful in that and he's also faithful in helping us to see our need for him that it's not uh, you know mm-hmm. i i'm not sufficient but he is okay but i have a so, weird question yeah
2: so i know you're not like a health and wealth person right? no <laughs> so it's possible that wouldn't have happened, right? Like, yeah. it's possible that he wouldn't have given you all of the money you needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you have done?
1: Um, well, I mean, there are lots of things that could be done, right? Yeah. So the beady could get a second job, sure. And we had talked about that. So yeah. that was one of the things we talked about. He's like, "Well, you know what? If nothing comes through on this job front, I'll just have to go work at UPS part time." Right. So you had <laughs> you other know, options be, lined up, and
2: yeah, thinking in your through mind, other yeah.
1: things. I think the primary thing we felt most confident about was. I believe that this is good and right and, yeah, you know, what we feel like we should do mm-hmm. right now in this, in this season of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just happened that the Lord provided in that way, but he may not have, yeah. you know, and maybe he, you know, we would have had to say, Oh, well, you know what? We can't do that right now. I have to continue to working for a while until, you know, another opportunity comes up later. So, I mean, yeah. it could have worked out differently, but yeah. um, in this particular case, it's like that. Um, moving uh, from North Carolina to D.C. to the Cayman Islands, I mean, those kinds of transitions always come with questions. Yeah. Should we? Can we? Mm-hmm. How will we? You mm-hmm. know, is this going to work? You know, how yeah. long is it going to work? You know, um, so there have been lots of transitions like that where, again, not, not so much doubt, but... Once we felt confident that this is the direction we should go in, Mm -hmm. um, just trying to explore, okay, how is the Lord going to show himself (laughs) in this situation? And how is he going to provide? And how are we going to learn yet again uh, to depend upon him? Right. Yeah.
2: What, um, in the time you've been doing or in local church ministry, what would you say you most value about or having to do with local church ministry
3: i
1: mean i'm really relational so Uh i do value the relationships the family of god um and it's been great to see wherever the lord planted us in in ministry Mm -hmm. north carolina um in washington dc in the cayman islands now back here in dc um it's hard to leave a church family because it is like family. yeah. And so uh, just the sadness of leaving, but then almost immediately the Lord just plants us in a new place and he puts people around us mm-hmm. um, to encourage us and to kind of help us along the way. So I think local church ministry, I just value the family of God and the relationships that we have there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know we're sharing in both our mission of being in this particular community Um, but also our mission as believers to spread the name and the fame of Christ and doing that in community and together. Um, You know, I I have to also say that (laughs) it's just cool to have my partner in life, my best friend, to Mm -hmm. also be my pastor. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just love seeing the Lord use um the gifts that he's given my husband. You don't say there are cringe through the sermon? Because that's no, what my is. Yeah, wife I, do. I do. I mean oh, okay. not not I mean not like well sometimes. <laughs> 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 so I'm like, babe, you said um like 40 times. <laughs> right? And I'm okay, probably yeah. saying um right here in this recording 40 times. Who knows? <laughs> so sometimes I pick up on things uh-huh. that he doesn't notice. Yeah. Uh and sometimes it's like man, I really would have liked to hear more about this thing that mm-hmm. you didn't cover in the sermon, or
2: are you his um, harshest critic?
1: I'm not sure if I'm the harshest, but <laughs> his but most
2: incisive critic. Try, probably. I, you
1: know, he asked me, you know, he yeah. after every sermon we kind of do our service review. How mm-hmm. was the service? How was the singing? You know, how did I feel like the fellowship among the saints? You know, how was that? Um, how was how were the prayers that were prayed? You know, how was the sermon? Yeah, you know, and so sometimes I can get pretty critical in terms of analyzing the details of the sermon without being careful about, okay, Christy, what did you receive from the Lord (laughs) from the sermon? So I, I, that's something I do have to intentionally uh, be thinking through that. I'm not just, you know, trying to critique my husband on the sermon. I'm trying to receive God's word um, through his servant who happens to be my husband. And so we talk about it every week. And and it's great. Sometimes even as he's preparing a sermon, he'll send me, he'll say, "Hey, here are a few outlines that I'm thinking about mm. using for the sermon. Which one do you like best? Why?" Mm-hmm. you know, and and he values that kind of input from a different perspective, you know, from a person in the pew to say, mm-hmm. "You know, well, this outline to me just seems clear, it makes sense. It, you know, I can see, you know, the gospel outworkings in this or yeah. this, I can see the application in the applications in this particular outline seem very clear." So, he, you know, even before the sermon, he'll ask me, you know, for input that way, Um, there are seasons and times where he asked me to read, can you read the sermon and just give me feedback? What do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, is it clear? And, and, you know, and there's certain things that I know he wants to make sure are clear in every sermon. So I look for those particular things, the gospel, Uh you know, um, making sure that, you know, he's, you know, expounding the scripture, you know, well, not like I can, you know, but just from, again, a person in a pew, yeah. can I follow his train of thought and his line of reasoning, right. his logic in the passage? So, yeah. And I enjoy it. I love to give him feedback that way. Awesome. And he seems to enjoy it. He keeps asking. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, though I feel like when I ask my wife for feedback on stuff, like my writing and stuff, it's always like... Um, really just saying can you please say this is good so that I fi- so i feel good <laughs> I, about myself
1: yeah that i'm i'm actually intimidated that way so i it took me a long time before i could i just even now i still feel a little bit like oh gosh babe, can you read this <laughs> you give me some feedback uh-huh. and then He'll give me feedback and he's I think he's very gifted in in writing. Yeah. And so I do value his input, but I also feel like I take it a bit more personally Mm. than I would from someone outside. So if I give him something of mine Mm -hmm. to read, for example, um, I'm also going to give it to somebody else who I know is going to just like, you know, yeah give me a lot of positive, you know, uh-huh. feedback. he gives me positive feedback as well. But I think in the areas where he might critique or say, you might want to think about this different or do this differently. Um, yeah, I just don't want to take it personally. Like you just don't like what I wrote. It. Right, right. Yes.
2: I can relate <laughs> yeah. to that for sure. Yeah. So. What's, um, wh- maybe this is it, but what, <laughs> what do you think is, is the biggest struggle you've had, mm-hmm. um, in this time since you've become a Christian and gone to ministry and, yeah. And raising a family and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. The biggest struggle I have is just the struggle I've had since probably after day one of being a You know, when you're a new Christian, you have that, you know, you have that zeal. You mm. have that just desire to, man, I got to tell everybody about this. Mm-hmm. Like, And I feel like that zeal kind of fades over time. Yeah. And I just don't like it. So... One thing that I feel like I've struggled with a lot over my Christian life is just um is just stirring up zeal in my heart mm. to know and love Christ so much that I just am compelled to share with someone else. And, you know, and just regular spiritual disciplines, being consistent in prayer, consistent time in the word, There's just phases and seasons where yeah. I'm always, it's always a struggle at, at, you know, any given year, week, month, (laughs) day. Yeah. Um, so, so I fight for, I fight for that consistent prayer time, consistent time in the word so that it's not just a chore. Oh, I checked it off. I did my reading for the day, but I'm Mm -hmm. communing with the Lord in that. And I think as when I have those, you know, kind of peak seasons where I feel like, man, I'm just communing with the Lord in my quiet times, that it does stir up my zeal. Right. And it makes me more passionate and more outward focused in terms of sharing the gospel uh, with my children, with people in my family, with people in my community, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So that's just my consistent struggle yeah. is daily disciplines and just really being zealous for the things of the Lord and having that fire kindled um, in my heart. Yeah. Yeah.
2: When it comes to living out this calling, what is your deepest fear?
1: Not being faithful. You know, hmm. I I long to hear from the Lord himself, well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. So I think my biggest fear is the fear of just not being faithful. Have I been faithful enough in teaching and training my children? Have I I've been faithful enough in cultivating um, deep um, intimacy and communion with my husband mm-hmm. have I been faithful in prayer you know people ask me to pray oh shoot she did ask me to pray and I forgot to pray. let me pray right now you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so I think just that fear of man have I really been faithful in the callings that the Lord um has given me mm-hmm. so what does that yeah. look like
2: like you not being faithful what would that mm-hmm. like if a year from now you weren't faithful how would you know
1: Oh, yeah, um, well, I think my heart would grow cold to the things of the Lord if i'm yeah. not faithful, you know if I'm not faithfully spending time with him uh-huh. um in the word and in, in prayer, um and there have been seasons of that mm-hmm. you know, where my heart has just been cold um, to the things of the Lord, and having to renew those disciplines um again and rehearsing my not just understanding of the gospel but i really believe this Mm -hmm. and and saying yeah well if i do and i do then how should that impact the rest of my life you know the rest of you know how i'm living my life yeah um i think if i'm not faithful in uh, cultivating relationships and discipling my children i will will see that in just kind of a distancing mm-hmm. of you know our fellowship together. My husband as well, you know if I'm not faithful in those things, I will feel and see the distance and Some people are very faithful in mm-hmm. those things, and mm-hmm. there's still a distance, so that's not a hard and fast you know kind of statement you yeah. know there are very faithful parents who have you know trouble with their kids, very faithful wives whose you know husbands go astray and various things like that mm-hmm. um but as much as it depends upon me, um, I would like to see, I think I will see consistency in my endeavors to be faithful in those things. Yeah. So if I'm, you know, kicking back and not spending time mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and not cultivating those things, um, and then I know that, you know, I will notice that over time. Yeah. You know, and it, see a drifting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, if you could step into a time machine, go back Ooh. in time and talk to yourself in the past. Mm. What would you tell her?
1: Mm. Yeah, I would tell myself kind of what we're talking about. Uh-huh. Just be faithful. You know, be faithful. Do the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And also, I I think we didn't really get to talk about this so much, but I think one of my kind of besetting sins, I would say, would be probably fear of man. Huh. So I would counsel myself to fear god and not man to trust him and to walk in faith not you know and trusting um, the lord's working through my life in various instances mm-hmm. um, those would be two things i would tell myself be faithful and don't don't fear man How fear does fear Lord of man play man. out in your life? What I think are the, you guys know that. What are the <laughs> things
2: what are the things that you fear specifically?
1: Oh, i like to be liked. I don't like for, you know, i don't like um,
3: conflict.
1: Uh-huh. Um, I like, you know, I wonder what people are thinking about me or what they're thinking about the things that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. you know. So how does it reflect on me mm-hmm. if my child, you know, acts out in a grocery store or something like yeah. that or in church, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so, so you can get in a trap, yeah. right, Of of living in a way that you're trying not to Stir up questions about who you are. Mm-hmm. You can live in a you can live your life in a way that tries to prevent that more than just living a faithful, dependent life on the Lord. Right. Yeah. So, for example, you know, if my kid is you know just going off the rails at church, if I'm uh-huh. fearing man, I'm gonna be like, you know, doing what I can to yeah. console, to quiet. You know, maybe I'll probably walk out of church way very quickly as soon as I see any disruption at all because I fear people and I don't want them to think my child is bad or my parenting is not good or I don't know how to, you know, care for them in that way. Um, But if I'm fearing the Lord, Then I know that children cry when they're hungry, (laughs) Mm -hmm. when they're tired, when Mm -hmm. they need to be changed, when, you know, they just have grumpy times. And I'm not and I'm now consoling my child because I know that they need my comfort or my care. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just trying to relate to them to give give myself an impression among Mm -hmm. among people. Yeah. Um, It also comes out when I'm like teaching and and speaking publicly. Mm -hmm. Huge fear of man in that regard. And so I can procrastinate a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm fearful, you know, do I know enough? Have I prepared well enough? You know, are my words going to come across? Well, oh gosh, now I just, I I just bombed the whole thing. Yep. What are people going to think yep. now? And I, you know, I can just get myself in a, in a, tizzy frenzy whatever you mm-hmm, want to call it mm-hmm. just thinking about all the negative effects of my outside ministry on people rather than you know what the lord works through the mess too yeah. so it does, it's crazy how yeah. that
2: fear of man becomes a, a full-fledged a obsession yes, at, at some point it's like yes it, you and, can't stop it it's, and it, it can stifle
1: you from yeah. really moving forward in your calling and the things that the lord has call, called mm. you to do and there have been again seasons of that in my life as well where i'm like you know what I'm not cut out for this, you know, because so maybe I have to go back on what I said before in terms of doubt. Uh Right. So there has been that doubt, I guess, of just like, I don't know if I can do this. And it's not I don't know if it's because I think it's more so because I just fear what Mm -hmm. people might say, think. And I fear that, man, have I been faithful with the word? Am I understanding this properly? Am I going to lead somebody astray Mm by, you know, what I'm teaching right now and then just kind of beating myself up, going back through every phrase and word. And did I get it all right? As opposed to you probably didn't get it all right, <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. Um, the Lord is giving you the words and he's siphoning it in a way that ministers to someone else. Mm-hmm. So I have to trust that God is working through my words and yeah. he's going to make it beneficial for people who are hearing or reading or receiving Mm -hmm. in whatever capacity and I don't have to fear that I can really trust him in that
2: thanks for listening to the calling if you'd like to follow Christy on Twitter you can do that at Kanyabwile that's K-A-N-Y-A-B W-I-L-E remember to rate and review the show on iTunes it helps us more than you know The Calling is produced by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere used under Creative Commons 4.0.